It's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. It's Friday. We have our final set of Golf Expo tickets to give away at some point this afternoon. We'll probably do that sooner than we normally do that, so wait for your cue to call. This also, is not that cue. Yeah, yeah, don't call right now. <laughs> we'll do that sooner than later. Also, our weekly visit with Dr. Cyrus. Today, we are going to talk about finding the courage to stand up for your convictions. So we will do that at 2.30. Uh, but, Greg, right now we have a couple of uh, guests to tell us about great event happening over the next couple of days. Brian Young and Dara Halleck are in our studio. It's the Breaking Barriers Summit on Mental Health. The evening mixer is tonight at 6.30 at the U of M. I can remember some good mixers, quote-unquote, at the U of M back in the day. And then the summit at the University of Winnipeg starts at 8.30 tomorrow morning, goes through until 4.30 the, sa- or the afternoon, tomorrow afternoon. And Darren and Brian, thank you for taking some time, which is clearly a busy day for you. So thank you for this. But I'll start with you, Brian, and maybe you can just give us an idea of what the Breaking Barriers Summit is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. Um, The Breaking Barriers Summit was really born out of the desire uh, for an increase in collaboration between our universities. You know, both Darren and I found that uh, we were all doing amazing, amazing initiatives, amazing events on our respective campuses, but, but never before had we actually come together into the same room to talk about what we were doing and, and what we can improve on and how we can all work together towards, you know, a decrease in stigma around mental health. And so so that uh, that dream that we had kind of was turned into the Breaking Barrier Summit. So, so we have three universities on our team, the University mm-hmm. of Manitoba, the University of Winnipeg, and the University of St. Boniface. And uh, yeah, we, we are all getting together. We're organizing a conference and it's happening this evening. So it's been a very busy day. You're right. Yes. Replicating the same services on multiple campuses mm-hmm. uh, may have its benefits, but it also has its drawbacks, right? Because you are doing great things at separate places. Uh, why be discombobulated when you can mm-hmm. work together? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it was also just, um, I mean, we're, we're three, well, on our planning committee, three very different schools, really, of varying sizes. I mean, U of M being very large, U of W kind of in the middle and St. Boniface being quite small. So the need really does change depending on the campus that you're at. And we're all doing kind of different things. But I think there is definitely an opportunity for us to learn from each other. And, you know, we have things at U of M that maybe U of W or St. Boniface or really whoever's attending at at whatever institution um, haven't done yet. But we can help them start it up and they can help us start up other programs. So, yeah, collaboration is definitely going to be a big part of this, this summit. So, Dara, you're a student at the University of Manitoba. Brian, you're at the U of W. Yes. How do you two know each other? <laughs> that's a funny story, yeah, that's, actually. Uh, that's a funny story. We actually work together at a retail store, so we've known each other for a couple of years. Um, and, and, you know, through working together, we really found out that we are both passionate about mental health. Mm-hmm. I've worked as a mental health advocate in, our, in my community for quite a number of years now. And so, so yeah, we, we both kind of found this passion, this, this common goal and dream that we can reduce the stigma around mental health and increase the awareness around mental health. And uh, we started attending conferences together. And and that's when we really sat down at a conference together and we said, you know, we have never seen something like this in Manitoba around mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never been a student conference, student-led multi-university conference on mental health in our province. And uh, and that was a significant, I think, need in our community. And uh, and we saw that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dara, what do you think? 
to pick up on what Brian said, why would you think that's an important thing to do and why do we need to do this? I mean, I think it's important because, uh, you know, as we've seen from other really successful campaigns about mental health, you know, with, say, Bell Let's Talk Day, for example, you know, you've seen it become really this conversation that is often led by what I would consider to be like youth or a younger generation. You know, this is important to us. You know, it's time that we stop, you know, viewing mental health as something different from physical health. I mean, we have we have mental health just as we have physical health, and it's important for, for everyone to, um, you know, feel comfortable uh, to talk about it and to feel comfortable with reaching out. And I mean, our, our age group really does face a lot of challenges as well, and in university or whatever post-secondary institution that you're attending, you're you're usually faced with either a lot of life decisions to make or stress from, you know, the financial side of paying for an education or really just a multitude of factors. Yeah. And so I think it's it's a perfect example of how, you know, many of us might be facing challenges that impact our mental health. So it's important that we we do talk about it. And so getting everyone in the same room and, and talking about how we all all experience that and how we all like to deal with it and talk about it is, I think, just really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Brian, you said you have been a mental health advocate for a couple of yes. years. What, What is sort of driving you to focus on this in your yeah, life? Yeah, absolutely. I was diagnosed with mental illness um, five or six years ago now. Um, and uh, and at that time, at the time that of my diagnosis, I didn't really know what it was that I was feeling on the inside. And it, and it just so happened that other people in my life noticed how I was feeling and how I was acting and, and decided to to take charge and, and you know, take me to a doctor and, and see so we can figure out what's going on. And so so at the time of my diagnosis, I didn't know what all those terms meant that I was slapped with. And so I really took it upon myself to educate myself about what mental illness was, what mental health was, how they are of course, a conversation that that uh, can overlap, but mental illnesses are really a, a separate part of the conversation in terms of talking about mental health as a whole. You know, we all have mental health, like Dara said, just like we have physical health. And what I really noticed is that not a lot of people were talking about it. And, um, you know, I, I really struggled in, in high school with my mental health and, and with my various mental illnesses. I had to be hospitalized for a time um, due to the severity of my my mental illness. And when I, when I was... Uh, out of the hospital, I, I really found like I had to I had to whisper about my experience there. I, I had to be quiet, and um, and I felt like nobody wanted to talk about about what I'd gone through, and that just simply wasn't okay with me. And so so I found that the more I talked and the more I used stigmatizing language like depression, like anxiety, like psych ward or whatever the more that those words and those conversations became less scary for people. And then I remember looking out and just seeing that there were so many other people in my community, in my high school or, or in my family or my friend group, you know, they struggled as well, but they didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And so, so the more we talked, the, the easier it became to, to really open up and either get help, talk, get to know some other people. And, and that was that life lesson that I learned really, really young, I think, that language matters and that the language around mental health is so, so important. Um, there's a statistic that we often talk about as mental health advocates. And, um, you know, according to the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in five will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. But three-fourths or 75% of those people 
don't get the help that they need or deserve because of stigma. And that number is just, it's just awful to me. And, and that's why we work to, to change stigma. It takes an incredible amount of courage to have the conversations you're having and to have them so openly, Brian. So thank you for doing that. What is it that led you to the decision to have those brutally honest conversations, the ones with the language that you were outlining? And why did you feel compelled to do that? Were you doing that for yourself? Were you doing that for others? Has it been helpful for yourself in your estimation in terms of, of and I'll put parentheses or yeah. quotation marks around better because, Absolutely. Uh, you know, as someone that deals with similar things, uh, it, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant uh, work towards better and to staying better, but I'd like to get your take on it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Full disclosure, I mean, it started as something that I needed to do for myself. Um, I needed, I needed to talk, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be quiet about how I was feeling on the inside any longer. Um, Cause I felt like I'd, I'd had to be silent my entire life, you know, from childhood, you know, with experiences with bullying and, and then, you know, moving through elementary school and high school, you know, I always felt like I had to put on a mask. I often refer to it as, uh, put on a mask and, and just like go about the day and fake it till you make it. And that just wasn't, wasn't okay for me anymore. Like I, 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 I decided that I needed to do something to change that. And so I decided that that moment needed, needed to include talking. And so I reached out to, to adults in my life and teachers and counselors and stuff like that who, who had the experience and had the knowledge to, to really help me grow as an individual. And, um, and through that experience, that, you know, ignition, like that igniting factor being I needed to do it for myself, um, I found that, that it was so therapeutic for me to talk and share my story um, because it helped other people. And, and if I can help one person or if I can even, maybe not help, but if I can change one person's mind about stigma, about mental illness, about mental health, about oppression in, in general, um, then I think I did my job as an advocate. It's pretty powerful when you see that light click on for someone when you're doing yeah. a presentation or they come up to you afterwards Absolutely. and say, what you were talking about, I went through that yeah. exact same thing. You know that your message is carrying some weight and it's doing what you intended. Absolutely. Good for you. Thank Good you for very you, Brian. much. We're going to pause our conversation with Brian Young and Dara Halleck. They have co-chaired an event happening this weekend at the University of Manitoba and the University of Winnipeg. It's the Breaking Barriers Summit on mental health. We'll get more details on the event itself after your forecast. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Hey, it's Brad again. Before I forget, it's time to give away some stuff has to do with golf. We have four tickets to the Winnipeg Golf Expo, which is on this weekend, today to Sunday at the RBC Convention Center. And it has to do with Samuel L. Jackson. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. I don't think it went so well for that guy. He has a golf-related contract clause when he does a movie. What is it? 204-780-6868. Samuel L. Jackson has a golf-related contract clause when he does a movie. 204-780-6868. What is it? If you know the answer, you could be going to the Golf Expo.
I'm Greg. He's Brett. It's 1.20 on this Friday afternoon. You made it. If it's your weekend, uh, it might not be quite there yet, but you can certainly see it from here. Dara Halleck and uh, Brian Young are here. Breaking Barrier Summit. It's a collaboration between the University of St. Boniface, University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba. The mixer is tonight at the U of M. And then the event, the big conversation takes place tomorrow at the University of Winnipeg from 8.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon. Dara, is there still opportunity for people to get involved and to attend. Opportunity. If they would like to, they can still fill out a registration form and uh, reserve their ticket on Eventbrite uh, for the remainder of today up until 3 p.m., I yes. believe. Um, so it's not too late, but uh, definitely within the next uh, few minutes or hour, I'd recommend getting yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the event that's happening tonight, the Mixer, where mm. is that happening? That's happening at the Hubs Social Club, which is on the third floor of University Centre at the Fort Garry campus of University of Manitoba. And um, it's going to be an exciting night of uh, speakers and singers. Um, We have Nick Dyson, who's a local artist that um, lives with mental illness, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as Kieran Moore, who is, uh, Brian knows quite well from uh, from school, who's super, super cool and going to share just her story and some of her experiences. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good night. And then what's on tap for tomorrow? What can people expect at the summit? Tomorrow will be a very full day of a lot of workshops. We have panel uh, discussions happening, roundtable type activities. Uh, we have a lot of really great speakers coming in. I don't know if we want to give away one of our yeah. main keynotes, <laughs> but um, but we do have a lot of uh, special guests coming throughout the day. And so our, our three main topics that we're really going to be addressing, uh, we've broken up into three themes, are educate, advocate, and create. So the education piece being that we want everyone attending to sort of have a base level of knowledge about what mental health is, why that's different from mental illness, uh, what stigma means, and and some of the examples of Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Moving on into the afternoon, we're going to talk about advocacy and advocacy work. So, you know, what makes a good advocate or how can you find a way to be an advocate within your community that looks different for a lot of different people? So some some conversations about Mm -hmm. about that. And finishing off the day with uh, uh, Create, so really creating our network between all of our institutions. I mean, we have uh, individuals coming from Brandon University, Red River College, high schools. So really, how do we stay in touch and how do we um, create something that uh, can be attainable? And and what are our goals look like and what do we want to work on here in Manitoba? So, yeah, that's the day. You cannot go two blocks in this city without crossing a fitness facility, right? Yes. Some sort of place where you can get your body into shape. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. there are no real, I mean, there are places mm-hmm. that offer opportunity for you to get some clarity and for you mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, get in touch with yourself. But I love the idea of getting closer to talking about mental wellness, right? Yes, Versus yep. always when we're talking about mental health issues, it's about the devastating diseases yes. and afflictions mm-hmm. that people exactly. can have. We all have to be aware of whether we're mentally Absolutely. healthy or not. Mm-hmm. And this is one way to do that, right? Absolutely. Brian, to talk about it in, in the way you're going to this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, was speaking um, to a number of people just the other day about, about this. And, you know, I, I really believe that our mental health care system is geared towards uh, right now intervention, crisis intervention, and is not geared towards prevention. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's a serious gap in our mental health care system around how do we 
how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our mind? How do we take care of you know being well? How are we well? And and how do we make sure that we're taking care of not just our physical health but our mental health because they are related. You know that would be the equivalent of a hospital having 400 stations in the ER and about 20 beds for other things. Yes. If we were comparing, right? You're I, you're right. I think it's high, highly focused on crisis mitigation yes. and handling mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. I think it's a super observation. So how do we change that? You know what? And and I think I think when we're talking about this conference, obviously we're students sitting here. You know, there's a lot of students attending, but this is a conversation that affects everyone. Um, the stigma around mental health affects everybody in this room, affects everybody in Winnipeg, in Manitoba, in Canada, like like globally, because we all have mental health, but it's so stigmatized in our community. And so, so while this conference is technically geared towards students, uh, we're not restricting our age limit because this is a conversation that affects everyone. And so, so please come out and and mm-hmm. chat with us about what we can do differently in our community to combat mental health stigma and increase awareness, um, and also. Also, and I, you know, I was talking about this earlier. I really feel strongly we can just have conversations. Mm-hmm. I challenge everybody I speak to when I'm doing a mental health advocacy workshop or I'm sharing my story to take one part of their day and talk about mental health. and And I try and do that every day, and and it's been easy because we're always talking about the conference. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I, I really challenge everyone to to take a moment in their day. Maybe it's around the dinner table. Maybe it's on social media to to talk about mental health and challenge some of those stigmatizing words or or themes that we see in our in our society right now. Dara, we have about a minute left. Mm-hmm. Just uh, for anybody who may be just tuning in, they want to attend the Breaking Barriers Summit. How do they go about getting more information on doing that? Well, they can get more information from our Facebook page, which is just if you type in that little search bar, uh, Breaking Barriers Summit, you will be able to find our page. Uh, we also have a email that you can always contact us mm-hmm. at. It's Breaking Barriers. And then without another S, summit, so umit, at gmail.com. <laughs> so whoever out there has that Proper email. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. But uh, uh, so yeah, breaking barriers and then umit at gmail.com. Or we could go breaking barrier summit. Yeah, like yeah. all in one. Yeah, that just one S. Just if you don't look too close, it looks like the yeah. right spelling. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's how they can get in touch with us. Yeah. Fantastic. Brian Young and Dara Halleck are the co-chairs for the Breaking Barrier Summit on Mental Health, the first multi-university student-led conference on mental health in Manitoba. The mixer once again tonight at the Hub social club at the u of m in the university center that starts at 6 30 and the summit is tomorrow 8 30 at the university of winnipeg global news coming up at 1 30 on 680 cjob i'm brett mcgarry he is greg mackling and before we introduce our next guest we just want to quickly congratulate cindy harrison and to- and sort of tony martin uh <laughs> regarding the winnipeg golf expo we had uh, today's trivia question involved samuel l jackson Enough is enough! I have had it with these mother snakes on this mother plane! And the question as it pertains to golf, Samuel L. Jackson has a golf-related contract clause when he does a movie. What is it? So 
Tony Martin called and correctly answered the question. He has to be able to go- play golf at least twice a week. He works that into his contract. He has to be <laughs> able to play golf at least twice a week. Unfortunately, Tony could not make it down here by 4.30 today to pick up the tickets. So Cindy Harrison was next in line, and she knew the answer. She is going to come and get those tickets. So, Cindy, congratulations for that. Four tickets to the Winnipeg Golf Expo happening all weekend at the RBC Convention Center. Tony's scheduling misfortune is Cindy's benefit. Indeed. Gotta love that. Camille joins us now, and Camille is a pet communicator, an animal communicator, and I'm guessing you communicate mostly with pets, or are there animals out in the wild kingdom that you're available to communicate with as well? All of the above, but mostly it's it's uh, animals that live with caregivers, that well, live with, that are pets. We appreciate yeah. you coming in to see us. This I'm is delighted a to be here. fascinating world to me because, uh, well, uh, Brett knows about my Abby. I've got a little Shih Tzu, Aww. and she's got these little idiosyncrasies. They do. And, and so I was really looking forward to asking you about something that she does. I wanted to bring her in today, but she couldn't make it <laughs> because she's hanging out at home, bathing in the sun, of course, in the window. Of and she, that would interrupt her routine. Yeah. But, <laughs> and barking at all the neighborhood dogs walking past on the street. But I digress. She does this thing. We've got twin boys, and and they take turns, you know, going to bed with her at night. But once they've kind of settled in, she will start, she will beckon for me. It'll start with a little, hmm. (laughs) And then it gets louder, (laughs) vocalization. But she will not leave the boys. I have to come and get her. From the bed, she will not jump down from her, what I see as her post, or maybe what she sees as her post in my interpretation of it. And have you ever met any animals who take their dedication to their to their uh, human siblings the same way? Not a dog that way, but just, just on a, a note for you, she's uh, waiting for your approval and that's why you have to go and get her. She wants you to make sure that it's okay for her to leave. It's uh, really a fascinating That's thing. That's why you go and get her. And, yeah. and she will come to me and nobody else in certain fashion. And my wife hates the fact that, that she adores me. She, kind of, she says, it's kind of sick the way she <laughs> likes you. She loves you just a little bit too much. What is it? Is it a master um, a dog relationship or, is, or do we just have something kind of special going on? It sounds like you have a heart bond, what I call a heart bond. And it's like you can love all your animals. But there's every now and then there's one that's just a little different where your emotional fields are more attached, more connected. And so what you feel, she'll feel and vice versa. So you'll be able to read her behaviors more than maybe someone else can because you can kind of feel the emotions. Does that make sense to you? It does make sense yeah. to me. Yes. And what happens with these little ones when they do leave and they all do leave us eventually, they leave a bigger hole in our hearts because it's a heart bond. And it sounds like that's what you have with her. Oh, great. I have that to look forward to. But it's so much joy until that oh, happens. Oh, absolutely. And in the meantime. So tell us, why do we have these in, in incredible relationships with animals? I mean, I always say that if there are aliens out there watching over us, if we're on TV somewhere and this whole thing is a sitcom for, you know, uh, individuals on planet X, they must imagine that animals, cats and dogs are like the true rulers of the universe (laughs) and of our universes because we just dote on these things like there's no tomorrow. Why is that? (laughs) 
I think, uh, first of all, in my belief system, every time we have an animal that lives with us, there's a contract between us and them. So they're with us to learn special things for their own development, and we have them in our lives for special reasons for our development. So in cases of a heart bond, you may it may be that you, you know, part of the gift with the little one, Abby, I think you said her name That's was, right. of Abby with you is the joy that she gives you as well as the warmth, the just unconditional love. And you in turn give her back something of security. So she knows no matter what happens with her day that you're going to be there and you're going to look after her. So there's an exchange, if you will, between the animals and the human. And of course, anybody that's had a pet knows how uh, great they are for your mental health, how great they are for your uh, emotions, how great they are for relaxation. There's nothing like a cat purring on your lap to set the blood pressure down nice and low, right? Unless the cat's doing other things than just purring on your lap. (laughs) They have a tendency to make your blood pressure go high from time to time. Well, and that's actually, uh, I I had a cat, this big kind of fat cat named Frankie. Uh, He's now in my sister's care, but uh, when he was with me, he would, sometimes I'd come home and he would be nowhere to be seen. But as soon as I changed and sat down on the couch and put my legs on the table, there he is on my lap. Like I've sat down for a second and he jumps on my lap and uh, he would just lie there for, for hours, really, as long as I would let him. Right. And you're right, it was very relaxing. Yeah. And uh, you talking about your dog, Greg, um, I always want to ask you, why is it that sometimes in a multi-person household, you can say, the, that's my cat, even though there may be two or three of you in the home, that's my cat and that's your dog, even though it's you know, a community. Why do some animals tend to gravitate towards one person? Again, I think it's the contract. I think it's that, that piece where I'm here to, especially for you. The rest is kind of, they're okay, they're part of the pack, but I'm there just for you. You're the most, you're the main person in my life. The first cat I ever had was what I call a marmalade cat. And he, I thought he he was a a she when I first got him because he was so small, but he turned out to be a he, but he had a sucky name. I called him Minnie because I thought it was short for Minnie Mouse, right? But he turned into this huge orange marmalade cat that hated everyone except me. Kids would come to the door to call on my kids, and the first question they'd ask in a trembling voice was, is that cat here? Before they come in, because he guarded like a dog. Wow. He growled. He cornered people. He was miserable to everyone, but only me. And then when I went away on trips, he'd get so ticked off with me that he wouldn't talk to me for three days. And then he'd go and visit everyone else in the family, always turning around to make sure I noticed that they were patting him. Wow. Well, the intuitions of these animals blows me away. They know when something's up, right? They do. Like, it's crazy. I used to have a roommate who had cats, and one time he was packing, my roommate was packing for a business trip, and the cat sprayed all over his all over his suitcase and full of stuff. And what was that message? Well, that was message was, you better not be leaving me, Absolutely. right? So how did you realize that you had this ability to communicate on a different level with animals? I was born with this gift, So I've always talked to animals, but I thought until I was older that everybody could relate to animals the way I did, that they'd listen to people, everyone, the same way they listened to me. So it wasn't until I was maybe in my early 20s where I really, pardon me, started to realize that um, they listened to me differently than others. So I'd go to visit a friend's home and they'd go, I wish my cat would stop scratching X. And I'd say to the cat, why don't you stop doing that? You know she doesn't like it. 
And then I'd hear, the cat stopped doing that. What did you do? So it was that sort of thing that started me moving more outward and, and um, making it kind of a focus where I talked to different animals for different people. So but I've just, always done it. You just said it just like that to yep. the cat? Why yep. don't you just stop doing that? Yeah. That's interesting. I have conversations with animals like I do with people. Really, that's it. It's just the very same thing. And I listen to animals, and I get messages from animals. I get pictures. I get feelings. I get sort of a strong sense of knowing. Sometimes I get words, particularly if they're feeling strongly about something. Um, So I get that kind of message back from them. And I think, really, that most people can hear animals or can talk to animals if they just quiet their own minds. I think this is a gift we all could do. What kind of vocabulary do dogs and cats have? Do they know a handful of words? Do they know many words? I've never encountered any need to shorten my vocabulary or or, uh, make it less concise with with an issue with them, and they understand. As far as I'm concerned, they can read your mind. So they can pick up your emotions. So you're going to go on a trip. You don't even have to say you're going on a trip. You don't have to get your suitcase out. Your animal already knows you're going on a trip. Mm -hmm. Then they start to worry about, well, what's going to happen to me while you're on the trip? Who's going to look after me? Who's going to give me food? Cats in particular are very uh, concerned about themselves. (laughs) They're very concerned about what's happening with them. But all animals are. They want to be safe, right? Sure, sure. And that's that's their basic necessity, right? Once w- once they've got a roof, it's water and food and and the love they sense, right? Absolutely. So, what about when they're not cared for? How do they? You know, we mentioned kind of a a funny anecdote with my buddy and his cat. Uh, but what about when animals are genuinely not cared for? It's got to be super stressful for them. It is. It would be like uh, it would be like a person or a child not being cared for. They have similar kinds of feelings in in some ways. And often what will happen is an animal will either run away or they'll die. They'll get sick and they'll die. They'll choose to leave. They, they choose to leave the circumstances rather than go through the abuse of staying there. Have you ever met an animal that would, uh, would appear from the outside has been in a healthy home, but you visit with the animal and, it's, and it says, hey, these people are not really treating me very well? No, because actually I don't think anyone that wasn't treating an animal well would have someone like an animal communicator come and visit. Like, I, I, you know, they just wouldn't do that. It wouldn't be part of their belief system because they would view the animal as less than mm-hmm. a little entity of less, you know, not having any emotions and not having any feelings. So you know there's people, you know, listening right now and they're going, yeah. there's no way this Camille person's for real, right? So what do you say to people that say, oh, come on, Camille, this is this is impossible and what you're doing is uh, simply is simply uh, something that, that, that you're putting on for show? Oh, no, it's not, or I have a good imagination. Yes, yes. <laughs> that <could be> <laughs> well, oh, right? that's the other yeah, one, right? That's a good, yeah, you've got a good imagination. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, the reality of it is it's not for everyone. Some people will believe it and go along with it and other people won't. But I know if somebody asks me to come and talk to them or to talk to their animal long distance, I get feedback from them and I'm on point. Uh, you know, I tell them what's going on with the animal, whether it's health or emotional, uh, whether they need to be referred to a vet or a chiropractor or something like that, whether it's something to do with food, whether it's something to do with past past experiences they've had where they've been abused in a home and now they're in another home, like rescued animals have a lot of history that they bring with them. Uh, I just get feedback from people and it's always accurate. I also write a pet column for the aquarium in town, so I, I put that out as well. I get feedback from people there. 
you know. So it's just, and I talk to animals all over the place, in other countries as well as here. It's not just, I can do it long distance as well as in person. We're going to continue our conversation with Camille, an animal communicator, after your forecast on 680 CJOB. The website, bluewolfspeaks.com. Camille, animal communicator. She's from Winnipeg. She's with us in studio and... uh, what a gift you are. People must just appreciate what you do so much. Like you said, if it's not your thing, well, then, you know, whatever, so be it. Yep. But for people that enlist your help, why, why are they reaching out to you, Camille? Sometimes, sometimes when an animal is really sick and they're getting close to the time where they're going to transition, it's a hard decision for, you know, a, a caregiver to make about the animal. Is it time to help the animal pass? Is it time to just leave them alone? They're not sure. Sometimes they'll reach out for that. Other time, and, and they find it very helpful when they hear from the animal as to what the animal wants. Um, other times it can be behaviors. I'm going to see a little cat today that has pica, which is uh, it's a disorder in cats where they eat things that isn't food, that, that aren't food. So it, this one in particular eats clothes. But, you know, there's different, sometimes you'll have a cat that really likes plastic. That's kind of a symptom of the pica. So I'm going to so sometimes it's some some kind of physical thing wrong. Sometimes they can't figure out what the behavior is or a veteran a vet will send a client to me because there's nothing medically wrong with the animal, but there is something wrong with the animal. And that's generally because of uh, and I'm going to talk about reincarnation for a second. It's about previous lifetime the animal might have had. It's about possibly previous behavior issues they've had with another family. So there's lots of different reasons that I talk to animals. Sometimes somebody just loves their animal and wants to have a check-in. You know, how's the cat doing? How's the dog doing? Am I doing things right? Do I need to make any changes? Sometimes there's eating issues. Just It's a really a large variety. Sometimes it's just, yeah, it could come down to passion. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you're here today with us. We've been doing a series all week on paw passion and uh, the love and passion that we feel for our pets. And wouldn't it be wonderful to actually be able to have... A chat. I mean, I and I, I know I can talk to my animals, but I can't. I clearly can't communicate with them the same way that you can. So, right. if I want to know what's going on with the cat, how, so if I if someone were to 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 enlist your services, how does it work? Do you just come to do like a house call? You pay a visit yes. to someone's home. Yeah. Well, if they're in if they're in driving distance, I'll go and see them because uh, I like to visit the animal. I like to physically see the animal and talk to the animal. But I also can do it long distance. So what would happen is someone will get in touch with me and we'll set up a time that works for them. I meditate with the animal and kind of talk to them before I get there. And I also do what is called channeling, where I work with a guide and I channel a sort of a deeper perspective message on the animal and take that with me as well. Then I go to the house or the farm or wherever and talk to the animal and answer any other questions the caregiver might have at that time. So it's a combination. So if that if they're close, that's what I do. If they're long distance, then I do it long distance. We're all do it for, by email or text. or And I like to have a picture of the animal so that when I'm meditating and I'm starting to try and talk to the animal and get their energy towards me, I can see them. I can physically see them in my mind's eye. So I know I've got the right dog or the right cat or the right horse or mm-hmm. iguana or whatever I'm talking to. What's the strangest animal you've uh, had a conversation with? Um, I would say about a five-foot-long iguana called Conan. 
And he was... Great name. Yeah, he was huge. And I'm not, you know, bless them, I'm not a fan. Or, or I'm not really a fan of rats. And I've had people ask me to talk to rats. And, uh, I, and I've done some reading on them, and I know they're a beautiful animal, but I'm just not... Yeah, but Conan wanted to get off his stand and come and sit on my lap and his nails were like about six inches long and I was going you're beautiful but could you just stay there because he wanted to come and sit on my lap it was no thanks did you connect with him I did yeah he wanted me to bring him red grapes and his and his caregiver said he doesn't eat them and I said wash them and give them to him please so she did and he ate them (laughs) and she said he's never had them before I know but that's what he wanted That is so bizarre. I know. They're strange, but there's there's just there's so much joy in animals. There's just so much joy in acceptance of the human. You, you talk about channeling and and you know um these different lives that these animals have had. Yeah. Um lots of people say, man, and when I come back, I want to be a cat. Because <laughs> like they've got it made, right? Yeah. If you've got the right home, being a house cat. It's a pretty good job. Well, cats have servants. We all know that. That's right. right? So, so do we? You know, do humans cross over into the to the uh, pet or or animal world, or once a cat, always a cat? How's that work? Well, that's my belief system is not humans to animals. That's not my belief system. I think there are some people that have that belief system. I don't. I do know that animals come back often the same species, but they can come back in a different species. So I know a little parrot that passed unexpectedly, and she came back as a cat. Um, And I've known other, you know, a dog would pass, and then it'll come back as a dog, that sort of thing. The parrot and the cat was the first time I saw a crossover of species in reincarnation. Wow. But it does happen. Hmm. And sometimes an animal will, their contract's not finished with you, and so they'll, when they pass, they'll come back again in a different form. To the same person. Well, what's that? That uh, can happen. What's that dog uh, movie? A Dog's Purpose, yeah. right? That's yes, kind of the I was so basis ex- of that, right? I haven't seen that movie, but I was really excited to see it because my experience shows me that that can happen. BlueWolfSpeaks.com is the website. Camille is an animal communicator. Her email address, Camille at BlueWolfSpeaks.com. Pardon me. Uh, Camille, thank you so much for coming in today. This has been really fascinating. Brett, I know we're up against the clock, but Camille, really quick, you want to do something special. Yes. For uh, those of you who are in rescue organizations, if you're looking for a fundraiser opportunity during this lovely weather that's coming up, let me know because I would be happy to donate some of my services to such an occasion and I can be reached at 479-6660. Thank you, Camille. Thank you. Global News at 2 o'clock up next. 2.05. I'm done with the cold, man. I'm absolutely done with it. It can blast off anytime. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Blast off. I like it. Blast off. You know, we, uh, a Fillion, what's his first name? Nathan Fillion. We were giving him a little bit of a hard time. But you know what? When the proud Winnipeggers are ready to get out of here, who can uh, really blame someone who's here visiting, even though they're working, you know. Oh, for this, sure. This is, just, this is just ridiculous for this time of year, but it's not unusual. Hang in there. I can't tell you when the weather's going to break because we don't have anything in our forecast that would indicate that, but I heard Conkin talking about maybe next week getting into single digits. Is that yeah. on the negative or the positive side of no. zero? Well, looking just looking at the long-term forecast from Environment Canada, we've got minus nine on Monday, minus two on Tuesday, and then plus one on Wednesday. Well, so only okay. a few more days. And, of course, with the 
elevated flood risk, we want things to melt fairly slowly. So I'll put up with some cooler temperatures, but this frigid temperature, I'm done. Anyway, we digress. Um, parents, I don't know about you. Um, I can remember the first time I beat my dad in a foot race. I think it was 10 and we ran. I think he gave me a little bit of a head start, but I finally beat him in a race. Okay. And uh, the feeling of victory was overwhelming. And I don't know if he ever beat me at anything again after that. Maybe arm wrestling. Okay. But that was about it. Kind of dominated my dad on the football field and on the basketball court and whatever else it was we were doing. My dad never learned to skate, so hockey was easy to to beat him at. But uh, I kind of have this philosophy that I want my kids to learn how to lose. I want them to be good losers in spite of what Vince Lombardi might have said. And uh, maybe that's a good jumping off point for our conversation with Josh Bagardi. He joins us now, and the title of his article is Why I Never Let My Kids Beat Me at Anything Until They Do. And Josh, what's the quote from Vince Lombardi in the article? I'm going to test you on your own work here. Do you remember what it is? (laughs) Good question. Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser, right? Exactly, exactly. But uh, people take that out of context, and I think it's... It can be a little painful when it comes to relationships and competition. What was your relationship with your dad like? Do you think your dad your dad let you beat you at stuff? You know, there was this one time I thought I finally took him in, in, in wrestling. You know, I was probably about the same age as you when you beat your dad in a, in a foot race. We were wrestling around. I was I was probably 10, and I, I pinned him. And... And it felt like a victory in a weird way, but it, it felt hollow because I knew deep down, I knew I didn't earn it. Josh wrote an outstanding article. I found it outstanding for fatherly. And Josh, you and I spoke on the phone last week and we had a great back and forth. And then you had a confession to make. I did. I did. And, uh, and that confession is I'm actually not a parent. So I've done a little bit of writing about parenting. I, I've been commissioned to theorize about parenting, and I've put those theories into narrative form. And that went from one source to the other and ended up at Fatherly. And, uh, and now I'm on the radio with you, and it's kind of interesting. It's pretty comedic, I think. Uh, you know, it, it, it felt disingenuous at first, and, and then it occurred to me after speaking with you and after speaking to a lot of people that, you know, you know the philosophy of anything can be speculated about and should be speculated about. And, and we need to discuss these things, you know, cause we're all trying to improve and, and uh, everybody has a valid opinion or a, a right to an opinion. And if it's valid, it's valid. So when people find out that you write these things about uh, being a parent and then they find out that you're not a parent, do they ever, do you, are you ever met with resistance or like, well, how dare you tell me how to raise my kids? <laughs> Well, I enter into those situations first and foremost, you know, with the understanding that you need to approach criticisms or perceived criticisms gracefully, right? You know, even if I was a parent, I really need to be careful about how I criticize somebody else for the way that they are a parent, right? So, so I, I sort of take the perspective of deference immediately, and I go, this is, this is a perspective. I want my kids eventual kids and the kids that are in my life, my nieces, my friends, kids who I have you know, very good relationships with. I want them to develop in, in a way that's meaningful. Right. And, and, and as soon as, as, as soon as you 
approach any sort of pushback from that perspective, the situation is diffused because they see your intentions. They know that you want to either raise healthy children of your own or help them raise healthy children of their own with the right kind of character. So, you know, give it a little time and get to know somebody and uh, and it's immediately diffused and, and everybody can respect one another. Well, I'll tell you, Josh, all the way through your article, I found myself nodding my head in the affirmative with the positions you were taking on a, on a lot of things. In fact, I can't really cite anything in your article that I overly disagreed with. And so um, whether that means you'd make an excellent father and uh, I'm an excellent father or I'm a terrible father and, and you're doomed uh, doesn't really matter at this point. But I, I just really like where, where would you get the philosophy that we shouldn't be letting our kids win at, at everything, maybe not at anything. Well, uh, how to sum that up? So I, I personally find it annoying when people criticize the quote unquote, everybody deserves the trophy culture, right? It's, 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 it's annoying when people speak of it that way. So I kind of decided to bypass that and, and, and kind of get to the heart of the issue, which is, you know, where is confidence and self-esteem derived from, right? Is it, is it derived from the scoreboard or, or from learning, right? And, and that's really what I wanted to get to, but I, I wanted to bypass all the, you know, the buzzwords, so to speak, um, and really get to the heart of what is it that makes a person confident and, and, and makes them believe in themselves and makes them persistent and have a strong motor and keep working and that was really what I wanted to pull out of this article. And that was that was the heart of it. Well, and I would imagine if, for example, I mean, Greg, you referenced uh, playing various athletics with your with your dad. I would imagine, Josh, let's say uh, you're a kid who plays basketball and you play one-on-one with your dad all the time and your dad beats you constantly. When you finally do get to a point where you can beat him, honestly, I would imagine the, vic- the inner victory that right. that child would feel would be significant. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, they say one of the biggest indicators of intelligence is delayed gratification, right? So, so when I have a son or a daughter and we're shooting hoops, you know, obviously I'm not going to crush them into the, you know, you guys play hockey up there, right? I'm not going to crush them into the, into the side glass, you know, when they're toddlers, right? So there's a little nuance there, but you know, when they're eight, nine, 10, 11, and they, and they love basketball or they love hockey or they love soccer, I'm going to I'm going to make them work for it because at some point they will have progressed to the point where they have earned a skill and they have earned a victory that is not hollow. Josh, what what generation are you? Where where do you fit in? What age are you? Um, guess. <laughs> Can I ask you to guess? Uh yeah, I would I would guess your uh, early 30s, 31, 32. Nailed it. I'm 30. So just this idea of these uh, generations, uh, uh, you know, we've been talking about millennials. Uh, we, we, I find we, we use that terminology far too often. I'm not a fan of the terminology. Sure. Um, we we, we far, spend far too much time trying to divide one another as, a, as opposed to finding what, what uh, brings us together. But in terms of, of different generations, do you, do you find it different uh, in terms of how you were brought up and, and how your friends around you're bringing up their kids? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's just really easy, you know, in 2017 versus 1986 when I was born. Uh, it, it's, it's just, you, you have so many things, right? You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't raised with any sort of 
prominence or wealth, but I was still ridiculously comfortable. Right. I, I, it, it, it was hard even to communicate to me, Hey, you really need to work hard for things. And I think that my parents' generation, I'm not how sure, uh, I'm not sure how old you gentlemen are. I, I, I think, I think as we get more comfortable as a society, it, it's, it's really important to sort of reinforce this. You still really got to work for stuff. And, you know, you can have a flat screen TV for less than 300 bucks now, but, but, but you still need to work. You, you, you need the satisfaction of the work. And, Thankfully, I'm, I'm seeing sort of a pushback from my generation um, who are insistent on raising their kids to be hard workers, to, to really strive for something and, and not even to win, right? Because we're, we're all going to win and we're all going to lose. But, uh, but the one thing you can do every time is learn, and that's going to that's gonna help your, your win-loss ratio by, by quite a bit. Well, I still remember uh, losing some some heartbreaking baseball games when I was eight years old, and uh, I'd I'd go home and I you know I would grieve that loss for for days, and but eventually it, it teaches you to you know not to to barf up a cliche here, but it teaches you to to get back up and and keep fighting. Exactly. Yeah. Take a take a look and and, and keep on ticking. And I I think you know whenever I am a parent. And, uh, and, and now currently when I'm shooting hoops with, with, with my, my, my little buddy, Rhett, he's, he's 13. I, you know, I'm, I'm a graceful winner, right? I, mm-hmm. I try to be a role model mm-hmm. in these wins so that they can take a loss in stride, even though he has a hard time doing that and, and go, all right, this is what I got to work on. You know, next time I got him, next time I got him, I want him to think next time he's going to beat me. And, and that's how he's going to develop. It's great. And I think that's why we have to continue to keep score. I This whole idea of not keeping score on some level, uh, I understand when you're in an instructional league, a sport where the goal is just to kind of get better. But when you're playing a game, I'm sorry, whether you're keeping score or not, those kids are keeping score. And kids like to know if they're winning or losing. And to take them take that away from them, I think, is 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 borderline criminal. It is because it gives them a false sense of confidence to, you know, possibly pursue something that isn't their forte. That's not to say they shouldn't quit or that they should quit doing it if they enjoy it. You know, I'm a mediocre soccer player. Didn't quit. I enjoy it. Um, it's almost doing them a disservice to sort of think that, hey, you could be the best graphic designer in the world if you if you just keep at it. Well, that might not always be true. But if we believe that everybody can be successful at something, and I do believe that, these wins and losses sort of help you navigate and gravitate towards areas that you're gifted in. And, and it's, and it's almost dishonest, you know, to, to hand something out that isn't earned. Right. That's an interesting perspective to, to use wins and losses to help sort of guide you as to, to learn what you might be good at. Uh, I never really thought about that because yeah, if you, if you lose all the time at something, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> right, it's a it's a performance indicator, right? We need um, to know where we fit in, right, and where our gifts lie and where they don't. And I think that we're giving kids. We tell kids you can be whatever you want to be in life. Well, that's not really true. That's not always true. You don't want to put limitations, but you want to set real realistic expectations. Right, right, and 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 it feel it feels right to say that, and, and and I think to a certain extent it is true. Go be whatever you want to be. I think that you can master anything you want to master if you really put your heart to it. I really believe that. But but if but if you're gifted in a certain way, you know it's it's 
it's important to know that and, and uh, you know, take the wins and losses in stride. And I think that's where people come in. That's where, you know, bring it full circle. If you're a parent, be, be supportive either direction, win or loss, and, 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 and really help sort of crystallize that core character um, for their betterment. Yeah, but be honest with uh, your kids, too, because you don't want them to be on the uh, gag reel and the bloopers of American Idol because your kid thinks that they can sing and they really can't. I think that's a huge disservice. Hey, Josh, uh, regardless of the uh, reason that we met this week and and uh, the premise, I enjoyed your article very much. And uh, uh, next time you're uh, you're writing uh, about parenting or anything else, please uh, send it our way. You got it. Hey, thanks very much for your time. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I wish you guys would pass some of that Winnipeg uh, winter down here because it's just been warm in Tennessee. So oh. I need some winter in my life. <laughs> Gee whiz, Josh. <laughs> Happily you, trade you. Yeah, it was a nice way to finish things off. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk again. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay, Bye. that is Josh. Bogarty. Oh, thank you. I couldn't find it on my schedule. That's Josh okay. Bogarty, he wrote this uh, this column, Why I Never Let My Kids Beat Me at Anything Until They Actually Do. And for those who have been patiently waiting, we we're, we have 10 minutes from 2.10 until 2.20. <laughs> it's 2.19.28, so let's hit it, Joe. Uno, dos, tres, get 680 CJOB's Fly Away to You 2 Your time to win is now. Marty Falk. You have five minutes to call 204-780-6868. Marty Falk, please call us at 204-780-6868. If you call in the next five minutes, you will qualify. Greg, you like you're the guy who likes you two more than you like you two more than I do. So you you'll do the qualify, spiel. You'll qualify to be our grand prize winner, March 31st. Shadow Davis will draw a winner who will get two tickets, two airplane tickets to Vancouver and the sold out show at BC Place Stadium for Joshua Tree, the 30th anniversary, 30 years yesterday, the Joshua Tree was released. U2 is celebrating that with a North American tour that does not include Winnipeg, but that doesn't matter. We're going to send you listen at 710 with Shadow, 1110 with Jeff Courier, 210 with Greg and Brett, 510 with Richard and Julie. If you hear your name, you have five minutes. You have to go to 680CGOB's website, cgob.com, to register. Listen for your name. You'll have five minutes to win, and then you will be in the draw on March 31st to go and see you 2 in Vancouver, May 12th, at BC Place Stadium. Marty Falk, call 204-780-6868 in the next five minutes to qualify. Your forecast is up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Marty Falk has called... He called, he has qualified for the U2 draw once again happening on March 31st. So thank you very much, Marty. And how many, Fortier and Master Control, so how many qualifiers have we had this week? Did we get two out of the five? Two. Only two, two out of the five. And who is, do you remember who the other one was? Was it? Uh, Daniel. Daniel Garriak? I think that's who it was. Okay. Yeah, I think you might be right. It was Tuesday. We got one, I think. That's right. And today, so Daniel Garriak and Marty Falk have qualified on Mackling and McGarry. And your next chance to qualify today is at 510 on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. You realize whichever show generates the winner of this contest is going to be wearing that like a badge of honor. Oh, yes. Right? Especially, oh, can you imagine how smug Richard and Julie are going to be if they win? They're not going to win. 
They're not going to win. God help us. It's going to be a Mackling and McGarry listener. Tell your friends, <laughs> spread the word, go to CGOB.com. If you want to go see you two in Vancouver, May 12th, we'll pay the freight. We'll send you there. I think we'll even put you up in a hotel. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> we'll give you tickets <laughs> to the concert, two tickets, mm-hmm. which means if you don't have any friends, you could take Mackling. I'm I'm a I'm a good date and I and I tip well <laughs> and uh, I know all the good restaurants in Vancouver. I used to spend a lot of time in Vancouver. I think I even have a friend or two there. So I uh, would love to uh, tag along if you're really desperate. But of course, uh, all joking aside, we would uh, love to have a winner come uh, from our two ten call in here on Mackling and McGarry. And once again, uh, the chances to qualify seven ten in the morning on the Shadow Davis show. 11.10 with Jeff Courier, 2.10 on Mackling and McGarry, and 5.10 on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Your news, global news, coming up at 2.30, up next. It's 2.34. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us in studio. And, uh, Brett, one of the best stories, I guess, of the week came to light yesterday when we learned that the government of Manitoba was going to step up and pay at least part of, well, Robin Milne's medical expenses are going to be covered. Yeah. He's still on the hook at this point for transportation. And uh, it took a lot of courage for Robin Milne to come forward and to say, hey, I think there's an injustice being done here. And as we've learned subsequently, he wasn't alone. He's not alone in going through and dealing with the system almost in exactly the same way. There are, there are uh, more than a handful of people who've gone down the same road that have chosen to stay silent. So I was curious about the idea of what does it take to stand up for your convictions and to come forward? And why is it difficult for some people and for others, it's something they feel they need to do? So Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here to talk about exactly that. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates, and the website is drcyrus.com. Dr. Cyrus, welcome back. Thank you. It's always good to be here. Finding the courage to stand up for your convictions. How can, why is it easier for some people and maybe not so easy for others? Well, I mean, the, like the idea of standing up for your convictions in a big way, like what you're describing isn't, uh, you know, I think that would fall under the general category and psychology of assertiveness of kind of, um, you know, being able to uh, state your own feelings, uh, you know, regardless or in spite of the consequences or the feelings of others. And, and, you know, some people seem to have a personality that kind of is more able to be assertive and some people are generally not as assertive, but it's something that's important in psychology has focused on maybe a little bit more in the past, a little less now maybe, but um, it's still been a very important thing. And there's been psychologists who have really focused on, you know, something called assertiveness training and helping people to become more assertive because it really does affect your life in a lot of different ways. uh, If you are not assertive, if you can't state your needs. And I think that idea kind of bleeds into this bigger idea of being assertive in bigger ways, kind of, uh, and, um, but yeah, I think that they're similar. What can happen if you don't state your needs, if you just kind of go along and and never speak up for yourself over time, what can happen? Well, generally what happens, and this is surprising, uh, at least it was to me, uh, is that generally if people aren't assertive, they actually become aggressive. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they, they jump to aggressiveness. Hmm. And so they will generally kind of be in this passive state 
and then all of a sudden they get to this boiling point and they don't know how to state their needs well. And and so sometimes they'll even state their needs in their aggressiveness, like I want you to do this already, or they'll just become aggressive generally out of frustration. And they still, you still don't know what they want, um, but they've now hurt you, you know, maybe even physically. Um, So when, when somebody comes in and, you know, like let's say couples counseling or just with anger management, oftentimes when people are, have anger problems, I'm actually teaching them to be more, become more assertive uh, as a way of uh, helping them to express their needs rather than jumping into this kind of aggressive state. So assertiveness is a, somewhat of a middle ground potentially. Right. It's the third option between passivity and aggression. And so for people who are too, who are, are, are overly passive, you know, we're helping them to become assertive. And for people who are overly aggressive, uh, we're helping them to become assertive. And generally speaking, aggressive people are quite passive. They become, they're very passive generally, and they're easygoing, and then all of a sudden, they're not. And um, that's often the way it works. And then they really try to become passive because they don't want to ever become aggressive again. And so then they invest even more in, in passivity, which doesn't work. So they feel bad. Sorry, Greg. So they, okay. they feel bad for their aggressive outburst, whatever it may be. Right. And then they retreat further into themselves. Yeah, they retreat further. They try to suppress themselves as being the solution when really it's actually a third option of kind of being in the middle and actually just clearly stating your needs, which sounds simple when you say it, like just tell people what you want. Um, but it seems in particular in our society to be something, maybe it's a Canadian thing, it's particularly challenging for people just to tell you what they actually want. Well, and I'm going to try and, I'm going, not try, I'm going to uh, relay a conversation I had with someone in our newsroom on the phone last week, someone who feels as though, um, I'll say he is being dealt with by the authorities, something that makes common sense that isn't happening. I asked that individual to come on the air to share his story about what was going on. And then after consultation with others in his life was told, well, you know, professional standards, this sort of thing. We don't do that as whatever he does for a living. You, you, you're you're going to have to, someone else told him you're going to have to take your medicine. And so he backed off from standing up for something that a, he believes is wrong, knows mm. that other people are dealing with, but isn't prepared to be the example in public. Was that mm. overly, I hope that wasn't overly confusing. Was that, was that I'm, I'm a little con- confused, but I, I, I think I'm getting the point that, you know, there's this, you know, it, you, you want to stand up for something, you know, that there's going to be consequences yes. and, and is it worth it? And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of taking assertiveness to its extreme. Now, generally speaking, in psychology, what we find in the research is that being overly assertive or being under uh, assertive has consequences in that people can see you as being weak or people could see you as being pushy. And generally both alienate people. So you kind of generally want to be Goldilocks in the middle. You want to be in the middle where you're valuing relationships and so you're not being too pushy, but you're also willing to actually be, you know, assertive and state, you know, your own opinion as well. So that's kind of the, you know, the, the middle ground that people should be looking for. Now, what you're talking about is kind, of, uh, is kind of standing up for something and being willing to kind of die for it, you know. Right. To, be, to be the face and the voice to be on the behalf, mm-hmm. not only uh, for yourself, but you're quite certain for others as well. Right. So psychology in general will often pull people away from any kind of extreme. We're often trying uh, as psychologists to pull people away from... Uh, you know, being an outlier, kind of like get in the middle, everybody, you know, like be in, be in the middle and the norm. 
that being said, I have a lot of clients who come in and really do benefit from being extreme in some way when it's meaningful to them. It's a personal choice. It's an identity that they have to kind of pick up themselves and be ready for. And you don't always know what the consequences are, but it can be very empowering for people to take a stand uh, not something that I would, it's always somebody's choice. I never recommend something like that. Uh, but when, pe- when people want to do something like that, it can be uh, life-changing, very meaningful, and often comes with a price, but you know, it comes with a lot of benefits too. Well, and you do a lot of work with uh, relationships, and uh, I know that this has got to be a big problem in relationships. Uh, for example, a lot of times I'll say to my friends, you know, why do you put up with that in your relationship? That, if that were, if I were you, and that happened to me, I'd go insane. <laughs> and then, they, then they'll say, you know what? I'm not going to die on that hill. There, right. I'm going to pick another <laughs> battle. So, <clears throat> I guess maybe can you just kind of give an example of uh, how it can become problematic in a relationship? You know, you're right. I think we have to be in relationships. We have to um, usually be compromising uh, for relationships to work. And if there is a hill that you're going to die on, uh, my piece of advice is don't tell anybody what that hill is. If you tell people generally what the hill is that you're willing to die on, what your line is, life has a way of pushing you towards it. Uh, so it's good to keep those things to yourself. Interesting. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, the other thing that I'm getting from your story is, generally speaking, if you go to individual counseling or if you talk to a friend about your relationship, it generally often pulls you away from your partner. It just has a tendency to do that. And so there's a little warning. If you're going to talk to somebody about your relationship, just be careful because it has a tendency to push you away from being more, uh, to finding an actual solution for your relationship. Your friends are willing to, are going to probably want to take your side. They're going to want to help you be assertive. And uh, they're not going to be able to advocate for your partner very well uh, because they're not there. And so if your friend says, hey, well, what about your, you know, your husband's point of view? Uh, she might say, well, what do you know about his point of view? He's not here to, you know, like, and... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you have a thing for my husband? <laughs> <laughs> you know that's coming at some point in time. Uh, well, I don't normally hear that, but uh, yeah, you know, I guess that could happen. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, so, so, uh, sorry, what was the question? That was, that's another thing to kind of, uh, you know, be careful about is, 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 but yes, I think that there, that is very important to, to generally be compromising. And when you're in a relationship, generally speaking, uh, you're, you're more able to weigh the costs and benefits of actually what that compromise is. Whereas people outside, they just see the cost and they don't see the benefits. And so it's hard for other people to make that judgment for you. Well, if you're, if you're a guy and things are not going well in your marriage, guess what? The Dude to seek advice from is not your friend that just got divorced. (laughs) Unless that's the path that you secretly want to be led down, do not get marriage advice from your buddy who's been divorced for six months. Well, it's not a good idea. You know, it's not just, it's not just your life experience telling, you know, like there's actually research to say that divorce is catchy. So, you know, like, really? yeah, divorce is kind like of like in a, groups and stuff. Yeah. Like if you're amongst a group and somebody gets divorced and you're married, you got to be careful, uh, you know, uh, that, that you're, um, cause it, it is making you more likely to do that in the same way that if you have a divorce in your past, if your parents were divorced, it just, it, it becomes familiar. It becomes something you know about, it becomes an option. And, and so sometimes it's best just 
to to leave it as not an option, then all of a sudden you do find a way to work without. So keeping up with the Joneses isn't all about <laughs> having the same uh, boat, car, or truck. That's right. <laughs> 245 on 680 CJOB. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here, the website drcyrus.com. We're talking about standing up for yourself, finding the strength the courage to stand up for your convictions. And when we continue our conversation, I want to find out how not to stand up for yourself because there are ways to do it properly and ways not to do it. 245 and 680 CJOB, your forecast up next. I'm Brent McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And Dr. Cyrus is here from Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. He is a psychologist. The website, drcyrus.com. We are talking about the courage to stand up for your convictions, uh, being how to be assertive. And there is a way to be assertive, but there is a way to be assertive also and end up being a jerk while you do it. So, Dr. Cyrus, uh, would you have any tips on somebody who's trying to learn how to stand up for themselves a little bit better, uh, but avoid doing it without being a jerk? Well, I mean, the main thing to realize here is that people have a very bad idea or very little idea of how assertive they actually are. Uh, People who are very assertive don't know it. People who are very unassertive don't know it. So it's good to get feedback. It's good to kind of talk to other people about how assertive are you? you, uh, Because when you're you're saying that, you know, like, how do you actually do this? People are going to go out and say, well, I'm good, you know, it, it works for me, or maybe I'm not okay in what I'm doing, and, and it might have no uh, bearing on reality. Um, so when you're when you're thinking about being assertive, my first tip on doing it well would be to get some feedback on how assertive you actually are and how you come across to others, from uh, people who are willing to tell you the truth and know you fairly well. Mm. Um, the other thing is to uh, just make sure that you're kind of lining up in the middle, like I already said, uh, not too hot, not too cold, um, and that you're not kind of getting, uh, you know, aggressive. Uh, and basically what you want to do is you kind of want to state generally and kindly how you feel and then give the other person room to respond. Uh, you don't want to kind of monopolize or manipulate the conversation and, uh, and you want to be open to feedback on how the other person's feeling. You don't necessarily want to draw things out too much with too many apologies uh, or wavering or waffling. And you also don't want to, uh, you know, become too lengthy and being overbearing and uh, with no options for the other person to give you feedback. So again, somewhere in the middle. You can get overburdened with qualifiers, right? And this whole idea of, you know, where you're coming from and yes. this, is, this is harder on me than it is on you. And it's, it's like, dude, you're done. Like it's not happening. You're negotiating. You're trying to because typically when we're being assertive, we're looking for something, right? We're either mm-hmm. looking to reclaim something we right. believe is ours or mm-hmm. to get something that we always wanted. And uh, one of my best friends is so good mm. at setting people at ease, mm. but then at asking just in the right way for mm-hmm. what it is that he's looking for to the point where it's almost matter of fact. Like th- there's no doubt in his mind he's getting a yes. Right. It's not subversive. It's mm-hmm. not dirty pool. He just he has a certain way of doing it and having mm-hmm. you come around to his way mm-hmm. of feeling. So I go to him for advice quite a bit, and he says, you know, I can remember one situation in particular And he just said to me, he said, you know what, Greg, the person on the other side is going to respect you way more 
if you come clean and come forward and ask for what you're looking for, mm-hmm. than if you dodge around the question. And that's the one word that mm-hmm. hasn't come up in this mm-hmm. half hour, and that's respect. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of times, mm-hmm. I think, a lack of assertiveness is a lack of respect for mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think that I think that you want to uh, come across... and. What I was going to, maybe what I want to say is that too many qualifiers can actually have the opposite effect. Uh, if you if you're trying to make something sound like it's not a big deal, repeatedly saying it's not a big deal can actually give the person the impression like, oh wow, this is this is going to be a big deal. Why are you having to qualify this so much? <laughs> you know, and uh, so sometimes playing it more nonchalantly uh, and just being like, you know, so this is what I'm looking for. What do you think? Is actually a better way of making something sound nonchalant than giving an hour of qualifiers beforehand. And I think what you're saying is important, just generally trying to have a relaxed conversation and making it no big deal uh, is generally a better approach than uh, getting worked up one way or the other uh, and being okay. I mean, when I when I think about um, this kind of standing up on a big sense, like what you guys were talking about before, you know, like for a big cause or something like that, oftentimes what you have to do is be prepared uh, for both sides. You have to be prepared for yes and you have to be prepared for no. And, uh, you know, kind of be at peace within yourself about both. And, uh, like, I remember one, you know, one way to kind of handle anxiety is to be ready for the bad outcome. Uh, I remember when I was going through university, I would always imagine myself going up and getting my uh, degree and saying, no, I don't want it. And if I was ready to kind of give up my degree, it was no big deal if I it wasn't as stressful to think about getting my degree. You know, being able to be prepared for yes and, and for the no is important in in kind of being able to not be too anxious and not become too aggressive. Did you watch Cheers as a kid? I did. Did you watch Cheers? Yep. You remember when Kelsey Grammer, Lilith comes to see <laughs> oh, <great>. Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> Frazier, right, with some bad news. Right. And he very conscientiously says, just imagine the worst thing that she can possibly tell you <laughs> and everything will be okay. And then Lilith tells Fraser that she's having an affair and he freaks out. It can't be that. That's, that's what it was. That was the worst thing. So his strategy totally blew up in his face, right? But it's one of, in my mind, one of the classic scenes in, in, in Cheers that, that set Fraser apart from all the other characters, right? Oh, you man. got an inside look at his, at his absolute fear of, of losing. Losing Lilith. It was it was absolutely brilliant. Well, there's just some news that you can't prepare for, I guess. <laughs> there's some things that are just going to be horrible and you're allowed to have a bad reaction to. <laughs> One final very quick thought on, on assertiveness, and this is even on a smaller scale, but sometimes uh, you can be assertive if people ask you if you want to do something. You know, mm-hmm. Like a friend of mine, he asked me a few years ago, hey, uh, I want to go to Las Vegas later this year. You want to go? And I just quite bluntly said, no, I can't afford it. Right. And he was actually happy that I gave him an answer on the spot because he had asked another friend who was really waffly. Right. And, and yes. he did. He never knew until the very end if this guy was coming or not. Right. Whereas right. I just said right out of the gate, no, I can't make it. Sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that can is. Would you consider that a, sort of a level of assertiveness as well? I think if you're very friendly with somebody, I think that can work. I think one thing I might say if if you're within a more uh, formal situation would be to qualify that with how, um, with, uh, not necessarily the yes or the no, but how about you appreciate it. So just kind of saying, well, this is something that's really important. Well, that would be, that's really great. You know, I'd love to go to Las Vegas. That sounds great. You know, and then maybe even talking about for like, boy, boy, you know what? I'd love to go, but I don't think it's going to work, you know, and, and kind of 
so I think it's okay to take a few minutes, but I think with a buddy, I think it's fine to kind of, but I, I agree with the sentiment for sure in that, you know, just it can clean things up really quickly if you just give an answer rather than kind of dragging out something and, and maybe dodging, 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 and then all of a sudden not responding. Uh, that can that can ruin a relationship pretty quickly. All right. It's, well, we're about out of time, but Dr. Cyrus, thank you so much. DrCyrus.com is the website. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is his name. He is a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. Mackling and McGarry, the news is up next. It is 3.08 on this Friday. It's the weekend that we change the clocks. Oh, forward, not back. <laughs> How many people do you know that get them mixed up? Spring ahead, fall back. Yeah, spring ahead, that's the bad one. That's where we lose the hour of sleep. Jeffrey Forche, our producer extraordinaire, says, I didn't realize this was the weekend until you said it in the news, Brett. Uh, a lot of people be in that boat. So, yes, so don't forget. Otherwise, you'll be... Late for church on Sunday morning. And that is our question of the day at the moment at cjob.com. Should Manitoba get rid of daylight saving time? And 71% say yes, 29% say no. Yeah. Time to get rid of it. I agree. Question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Yep. An example of one more thing Saskatchewan does better than Manitoba. They do not change the clocks in Saskatchewan. That must make you mad because you hate Saskatchewan. I, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't hate Saskatchewan. I'm jealous of Saskatchewan because of all the great things they're doing there. Uh, I don't hate our next guest. Uh, certainly jealous of the incredible things he does on behalf of his neighborhood, the North End. Michael Champagne joins me now or joins us. Sorry, Brett. You're, of course, here. What I wanted to say was <laughs> I've known Michael going on, on, I think, about six years. And, uh, Michael, I just want to say you are a young man making a difference in our community. And from the moment I met you, I knew you were destined and to do incredible things. And here we are five years later, and you're still talking about Meet Me at the Bell Tower. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much for having me on today. I appreciate you guys noticing the work that's happening in Winnipeg's North End. Well, you know what? It's critical that we uh, don't sit by and just watch and and be passive. And and you've certainly not been any of those things, uh, passive or sitting by and, and watching other people do. Tell us about Meet Me at the Bell Tower. Um, well, Meet Me at the Bell Tower is uh, has, has now been going on in in Winnipeg for over five years, uh, beginning in November 18, 2011, amidst a lot of violent activities amongst our young people, uh, urban uh, Indigenous young people and North End residents said enough is enough, and we're not going to wait till somebody is hurting or we lose one of our relatives before we get together and celebrate what's good about our neighborhood. So... Now, Meet Me at the Bell Tower, five, over five years later, is um, a community-building uh, machine. It's, it's uh, uh, becoming uh, a, a regular part of organizing and making sense of the challenges that our community is facing, and it gives us space as residents and volunteers to determine what we're actually going to do about it. And, and we make community action plans, and we help launch other initiatives at Meet Me at the Bell Tower to try to bring different neighborhoods and cultural groups, uh, young people and older people together. Meet me at the Bell Tower. Uh, where this is, a, is it a, a weekly thing that happens? Yeah, Meet Me at the Bell Tower is a weekly event happening every Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. We meet at the corner of Selkirk Avenue and Power Street, and uh, we work uh, collaboratively with the Indigenous Family Center, which is a, a Christian Reformed Church organization 
And we feel like because it's led by the the leadership, the young leaders from Aboriginal Youth Opportunities, that that relationship between AO and the Indigenous Family Centre is a great model of uh, a living model of uh, reconciliation for Winnipeg to see how uh, faith groups and Indigenous young people can work together. Talk about the bell itself, if you don't mind, Michael. Oh, I love the bell. Um, if you guys are interested in city history, which I hope people listening are, um, the bell that exists on Selkirk Avenue and Power Street is the original uh, Winnipeg City Hall bell. Um, back back in the day before our current uh, city hall, we had what people refer to as the gingerbread house city hall. And as part of it, there was a bell tower. Um, that bell tower was used every time that there was a fire and uh, any time that it clock changed to the next hour and it was rung manually by somebody who had a job to be the bell ringer <laughs> and and that individual uh diligently rang that bell until uh the city hall burnt down in the uh, early 1900s and uh it sat unused for uh, over 50 years in a basement of the i believe the manitoba museum until the 1980s when the Selkirk Avenue Business Improvement Zone uh, stumbled upon it in some kind of crazy way and was able to establish the uh, Powers Park, um, the city-owned facility, which is a a gathering place for residents, businesses, and uh, just community stuff uh, at Selkirk Avenue and Powers. And now every Friday when we bring uh, residents of our city together to meet at the Bell Tower and listen to young people talk about the challenges and solutions that they imagine for our world, um, people can actually ring the bell. <laughs> you can actually go in and ring that bell. We have a rope attached to it. People can uh, uh, have that awesome experience. And what it does is it reminds all of the residents who hear that bell every Friday that there's a group of dedicated helpers that are uh, working as hard as we can on a voluntary basis to show children and families in the neighborhood that we got their back. I don't go, I don't get to visit the North End often, Michael. Uh, the odd time that I do, though, and I think it's, uh, is it, were you, were you coming over the Slaw Rebchuk Bridge and you can see there's a mural that says, Welcome to the North End? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, it's a neighborhood that I, that I, I want to see things get better. From your perspective, are things getting better? Um, I think from my perspective, things definitely are getting better. Uh, I think a lot of measurements, unfortunately, that we uh, have to reference uh, in media and education and injustice are often measuring negative things. And um, when we're only measuring negative things, it's hard to get an accurate picture of the positive stuff that's going on. So I know that there are police statistics that talk about how there have been reductions in uh, violent crime in the area where Meet Me at the Bell Tower gathers. But what I would like to see and what we're trying to emphasize at, at the Bell Tower and in other uh, initiatives like Bear Clan Patrol, Ikway Safe Rides, Strike the Red, um, is we're trying to measure the positive impact that the community has. So um, there is no measurement for the 53 times in 2016 that Bell Tower brought community together to create solutions. And I think that if we measured how many times a community gets together to proactively address its challenges, the North End of Winnipeg would look very differently to the rest of the city. Michael, you're going to be featured on uh, Global News. Uh, was that t- last night or is that going to be today? I uh, have it to... was this morning. It was this morning and it'll run tonight as well. 10 o'clock tonight. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you're such an advocate for your part of town. And uh, have you got a few minutes to stick around while we update weather and traffic and come back and wrap up our discussion? For sure.
sure that I'll definitely hang around. Michael Champagne joining us. He is uh, was formerly known as the North End MC and MC, his initials, Michael Champagne. Uh, he's working hard to uh, to really be an advocate for his his part of the city. He speaks proudly as a Winnipegger, and we're proud to have him on the program with us. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Traffic and weather are together next. North End MC joining us, Michael Champagne. Meet me at the Bell Tower five-plus years later. Tonight at 6 o'clock, you can join him. And uh, how many people do you figure will brave the cold to come out tonight, Mike? Um, well, considering the fact that we're hovering around uh, weather and stuff uh, around minus 20, between minus 20 and minus 30 with the wind chill, um, we're expecting anywhere between 50 and 80 people to show up tonight. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And is it, and is it a range of ages, uh, uh, mostly young people that come out to this event on Friday nights? Uh, it's a, it's a extremely varied. Um, a couple of the things that have been really exciting is um, – uh, even though a lot of the leadership comes from young people as we welcome uh, all ages. So it becomes like an intergenerational classroom for us at the Bell Tower where we can learn from each other. Young people can teach older folks and vice versa. The other thing that's exciting is uh, Meet Me at the Bell Tower is a space where we can honor our women as leaders. Um, we have uh, a lot of great leaders like uh, Jenna Licious, the megaphone girl, that support us in the work that we do. And also, uh, as featured in the global interview we referenced earlier, a young woman by the name of Kaki K. Thundersky is uh, very vocal and competent. So it gives us uh, a chance to highlight up-and-coming leaders and surround them as a community and ask them what they need to feel supported. Sorry, what did you? Was it Genalicious? The uh, I tried to write it down. The what? Genalicious, the megaphone girl. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is that? Uh, well, that is a person. Um, she's uh, uh, a, a oh, megaphone girl. I'm sorry, I, I thought yeah. you said megaphone girls. Pardon my, oh, pardon no, no, me. No, no, no she's uh, she's uh, one of uh, the leaders that uh, helps us with youth engagement with Aboriginal youth opportunities, and uh, I call her. Our, our ghetto translator, she helps us take complicated systemic uh, solutions and translate it to young people living in the inner city. Well, you know, Michael, you have such a, a great way of communicating and translating uh, urban speak into uh, a general conversation. What about the geography, about where people come from? Are there individuals coming from other parts of the city, not just the north end for this event? Um, there are people coming from all neighborhoods uh, in Winnipeg to the North End. We got our, our regular Wolseley and South and Winnipeg contingents uh, that come out on the regular. Folks come from the Maples. So it's nice to see all the different neighborhoods get uh, representation in a North End gathering. But what we really are trying to do when those things happen is encourage those residents of uh, other neighborhoods that are not the North End to take Meet Me at the Bell Tower as a model and begin organizing and regularly getting their community uh, residents together, whether it's in the South End, Wolseley, Maples, or other areas of the city. And um, we're really proud of our relatives from the South End of Winnipeg who started Meet Me at the Bell Tower South End, and they meet every Friday. They're actually meeting tonight as well. They meet Fridays at 6 o'clock at 1629 Pemina, um, and they... The purpose of that uh, South End Bell Tower is to address isolation, social isolation in communities. So every bell tower 
that uh, evolves in it, every neighborhood is going to have its own local flavor, as is demonstrated by the South End Altar. Michael, thanks for taking some time with us this afternoon. You can meet Michael in person, uh, Powers and Selkirk in the North End at the North End Bell Tower, or you can meet him on Global News at 6. Either way, you can meet him at 6 o'clock, either in person or on TV. Thanks again, Mike. It is 323, traffic, weather, sports next. 337, Brett, I'm taking my shoes off, and I'm going to just put my feet up here for the last 23 minutes here of the day. I'm mailing it in. Rest of the day. I'm done. It's phoning it in Friday oh, for Greg Mackling? I Mackling? can't do it anymore, man. <laughs> well, you've had a busy day. Yeah, no, it's been a great day. You're on location earlier today, and now you came in and do the show. You're, uh, you're a hard worker here, so we appreciate that. <laughs> well, I wanted, before you tell your great story, I just wanted to uh, thank uh, all the people that came down to St. Boniface Hospital to, to say hello. We had an incredible response today, and I know that the uh, ticket sales are going very well, and I apologize in advance for the inundation of television commercials featuring my uh, ugly face that's coming up in the next uh, several on. days. So uh, I just want to, like I say, I want to apologize for that in advance. But as you know, St. Boniface Hospital is such a big part of my life and the work that the foundation does. It's uh, really an honor to be uh, so uh, tightly and, and closely tied to them. It's uh, been one of the great experiences of uh, this part of my journey. So uh, I want to thank everyone who popped by to say hello today. It was great to meet you all. Have you cleaned the cheese out of your oven yet? <laughs> the, the cheese is 95% uh, com- eradicated from the bottom of the oven. Uh, there's probably still uh, a couple of millimeters of <clears throat> cheese to be removed. In case yes. you're wondering what we're talking about, we opened the week by uh, talking about an incident that happened at the, the Mackling household. <laughs> uh, one of those plastic cutting boards, like a, what color was it? It was yellow. Yellow cutting board got Not stuck. Not orange, yellow. Yellow cutting board stuck to the bottom of a cookie sheet as they were getting ready to throw some some. Chicken wings. Yeah, wings and stuff. Yep. So that went into the oven, and it melted. So uh, <laughs> we were asking about dumb things that you may have done, uh, things that you have burnt or whatever, just silly things that you've done. And that got me to think about something that I describe as the Hurt Locker pop can story, and I promised I would tell it on Tuesday. So naturally, I forgot. Here you are Friday telling it. <laughs> naturally. <laughs> Finally remembered to tell. Have you seen the Hurt Locker, by the way? I have not. I'm sorry, Brett. Best picture winner from 2009, I believe. What's he doing? I don't know. What are you doing? There's enough bag in there to send us all to Jesus. I'm going to die. I'm going to die comfortable. So it's set in Iraq, and it's about a bomb squad. It's these guys who go around disabling bombs that are all over Iraq. So you'll get the connection to the Hurt Locker in a moment. Uh, back when I owned a house with my girlfriend in St. Vitel, we had like a gazebo. And inside that gazebo, we had cases upon cases of pop because she worked at a restaurant and she had a party at the house. So her boss like supplied her with like 50 cases of pop uh, for this party, which was really nice of him. Uh, but we, they didn't go through all of said pop. So we just kind of left it in our gazebo because we didn't have really any room in our kitchen for it or our pantry. And I guess the idea was that eventually we'd take it in and do something with it. But, of course, we just kind of, you know, I was, I'm lazy. I forgot about it. (laughs) 
left it outside. Well, you didn't you didn't forget about it. It was calling you and yelling at you, but you ignored it very well. That's exactly yes. what happened. Yeah, yes. I ignored it because I'm lazy and I didn't feel like dealing with it. So this the party was in August. At that point, it's fine for it to sit out there, but oh, no. <laughs> you can see where this is going already. I it, winter comes around. Winter oh, starts no. to come in. And I didn't and I still didn't think about it. It what made me think of it was I'm sitting in my living room and I heard something in the fridge. It sounded like something fell, but really loud. Turns out a pop can had exploded in my fridge because it was on the top shelf. Yeah. And it was right by where the air is coming in. Okay. So then that made me think, oh my God, I've got like 400 cans of pop outside. <laughs> so I went outside and I, it was it was dark at this point. So I went out there with a flashlight and sure enough, there's, there's exploded pop, frozen pop all over the gazebo. But here's where the Hurt Locker thing comes in. Some of the cans had not yet exploded. Okay. But they had expanded on either end. So... Instead of the the tops being flat, right? They were round. They were they were bulged. Yes. So and yeah, and on the bottom they have the concave. Yeah. Right. So those had popped. They they were they had popped out, but they hadn't exploded yet. So they, so were, like I had, a, they were like a, a a pill shape. Yeah. Okay. And I, they were basically like time bombs as I'm handling them. So I'm <laughs> I'm having to pick them up very gingerly, kind of reaching out with, and holding it, and then I would drop it into this garbage bag, and sure enough. I would drop it, you'd hear the explosion. Oh, no. So that took me hours to clean up, and I was dealing with that. I think I had to leave it until the spring, essentially, to, before I could fully oh, clean it. Oh, Brett. So that was a, that's my dumb story. That's your, that's your bomb disposal <laughs> experience. I mean, it's a, it was a hilarious. Does Upon that, in hindsight, it's it's quite funny because it was just so so dumb. As I sat, I stood there in the gazebo, just laughing. Like, how could you have allowed this to happen, Brett? This well, is where laziness is a problem. Well, I'll confess my gazebo story. Oh, because um, we had a gazebo, left the roof on, the right, the fabric roof on, and of course, I was going to. Yeah, I'll get it next weekend. I'll get it next weekend. And it was the November long weekend, Remembrance Day. We got a big, heavy, wet snow. This must have been around 2008, 2009. Collapsed the whole roof, the whole frame, the metal, everything. So I've got a really good friend named Monty. Monty, you're probably listening right now. And he re-welded all the different points on the gazebo for me. All the little brackets, there was like 14 of them. He remade them all for me. Really? So, so when we moved, I put the I put the uh, gazebo back together, and it all worked perfectly. And then we had a major storm, and we were bathing the kids, and I heard this massive crash. I hadn't screwed the gazebo down to the deck. Oh no! And it was like a seventy kilometer an hour wind. Our gazebo ended up in our neighbor's backyard. What an absolute disaster! And it was like only about. I don't know, two weeks after I'd put it up. Oh, my God. And then a year later, the same thing happened again. Two gazebos in successive summers. Jackie came home with uh, one more gazebo. These things are 600 bucks a crack. She went to the bay. I don't even want to talk about it, she says. It's in the trunk. It's the last one. (laughs) (laughs) 
I screwed it down immediately. <laughs> I'm <and> sure. <laughs> it successfully stayed in place for the last six summers. But <laughs> yeah, so I lost uh, essentially three gazebos in about 14 months. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Gazebo Adventures, Mackling and McGarry. That's right. The restaurant, by the way, that supplied all that pop was the King's Head. Jay over at the King's Head. Hey, Jay. Nice guy. Uh, 345 on 680 CJOB. Traffic and weather together. Next. Not laughing at you, Steve. Laughing with you. Thanks for the picture of your gazebo. Maybe we need to find a sponsor for a gazebo contest this spring and give away a new gazebo and make sure Steve wins it. Things, oh, that's nasty. Happen. Have you ever had one of those gazebos in your backyard? No, no, but I did. And my son will never, I, I don't know why it's embedded so deeply in his memory. I, he must've dropped his toothbrush and I, you know, being, he was my first child, you always sterilize everything. So I thought, okay, well I'm just gonna, or he'd been sick or whatever. I thought I'll just pop his toothbrush in the boiling water sanitize it and away we'll go except i forgot that it was on the pot in the stove and melted his thomas toothbrush oh he's never mom. ever forgotten it well kelly moore was ta- calling our experience on the weekend the mackling meltdown he didn't know <laughs> he didn't know how true that was because uh i that had to have been a challenge to get that out of your I oven i wasn't super impressed no I i'm was sure a the air bit... was extra blue smoke <laughs> yeah. and yeah. language yeah. there warning. are times i'm difficult to be married to that was I would wh- think. that was one of yeah. them yes so i'm sorry jackie <laughs> You're talking about gazebos burning down? Uh, gazebos no, just blowing, blowing away, away, melting then, things, uh, melting, exploding pop cans, when I was cutting a, boards. And when them. I was a kid, yes. I was a witness to a St. Norbert gazebo that burned down. Oh? Yeah. Were you a witness because you you were the one who set fire to it? Story for another day, guys. Okay, we're <laughs> no, I was not down. involved. I was not a pint-sized pyromaniac. <laughs> I can assure you of that. That sure rolled off your tongue, though, Rich. <laughs> so what have you got cooked up for us? Nice. No, thank you. Four o'clock. We have a Christian Amell. Yes. Has done a very good piece for us on uh, lost dogs and how to deal with that. We have a very special guest who will join us as part of that after the four o'clock news. And then we head to Texas. We uh, we do. Are you coming back? <laughs> well, oh, sorry, I got excited we, there for we a minute. We go virtually oh, okay. and uh, we'll check in with Mark Saltzman, our tech expert. See what's happening and find out why he is in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Speaking of animals. Why wouldn't you be in Austin, Texas? That's a great yeah, town. Southwest. Oh, <laughs> it's a great town. Uh, we've just posted on the 680 CJOB Facebook page asking you the question, what bizarre things have your pets devoured that they should have? Mm. Or or your kids? Uh, because the, the sea turtle, a 25-year-old Thai sea turtle, ate five kilograms worth of coins that were thrown into the water for good luck. So she had to have surgery to have all that money removed. So, you know, what did your pets devour or maybe your kids? All right. Sounds good. Asking you that on the Facebook page. Richard, anything else? We're also waiting to see deal or no deal. Uh Manitoba, the holdout province with Ottawa. Uh, We're in touch with uh, contacts, uh, both the Manitoba legislature and Parliament Hill and uh, will we get a deal this evening? And what does it mean, more importantly, for taxpayers? Uh, Global News' Brittany Greenslade has uh, filed and received a freedom of information on Crown Corporation spending and your Winnipeg Jets. More on that throughout the afternoon and several other stories that we're working on, guys. Brian Pallister, the one-man wolf pack. Last one standing. Yep. I, I recall the health minister telling us that 
all those provinces are standing firm, but somehow we became the island. But on the other hand, Ottawa has done this strategically as well. I'm I'm not going to take uh, sides on this, but usually cutting side deals essentially tries to isolate provinces on this one. So there's uh, many sides to this story. And we'll explore it. Okay. And we have tickets for Canada yes. versus Costa Rica today. Bring that's, your Vuvuzelas. That's in no, the... No, no. None of that today. Yes, yes. No. We Bring have a soccer... We'll give you a, uh, a choice between a soccer tongue twister or soccer riddles. Okay. Richard Judy Cloutier. Buckingham. Richard Cloutier. The news coming up Greg at 4 Macklin, o'clock. Brett McGarry. I just feel like... Judy Buckingham. should say everybody's name. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so we have a minute left. Our Greg. week is over. <laughs> what? You have a minute? We we survived. We uh, I'm uh, I might get in trouble for for sharing this, but I'm not going to name anybody. But just a very quick story about uh, uh, animals devouring things they shouldn't. Yes. Uh, guy I know, his dog pooped out a pair of uh, ladies' underwear that were not his wife's. You gotta be <laughs> kidding me! <laughs> I might hear, I might, I might get in trouble for sharing that, but uh, yeah, it's a funny story, but no animals were harmed in the making of this story. (laughs) There may be friendships harmed. However, (laughs) Brett McGarry, you are a brave man. I'm not a very good, nice person. No, there's lots of people laughing right now. And really that's what it's all about. Mackling and McGarry will be back on Monday around 1245. Brief visit with Jeff Courier. And then from one till four, we hope that you will join us at 210. We hope to continue our winning streak with getting names and people to call in for that trip to U2. Go to cjob.com if you'd like to hear your name called and go to see U2 in Vancouver. March 31st is the draw. May 12th is the show. I think I used up all our time. Jeff Forte, Master Controller. Thank you very much, sir. The news with Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham up next.